to Literary Anything, our Marion Libraries podcast where we talk about anything literary and literary anything. I'm Jay. I'm Paula. Welcome back. Yes. It feels like a long time since we've recorded. It does. I think we did it slightly early last time because one of us was on leave. Was that me or was that you? I don't even remember. That's so how long, long ago. ago it was. <laughs> so long ago. We don't remember anything. And now next month is Christmas, finally. Oh, Jane finally. is a Christmas fanatic <laughs> and I am a Grinch. <laughs> That's why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> so this month we read Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty. And do you want to read the blurb for us? Sure. And then I'll talk about Leanne. Yes, let's do that. Okay. From the outside, the Delaney's appear to be an enviable, contented family. Even after all these years, former tennis coaches Joy and Stan are still winning tournaments. And now that they've sold the family business, they have all the time in the world to learn how to relax. Their four adult children are busy living their own lives. And while it could be argued they never quite achieved their destinies, no one ever says that out loud. But now, Joy Delaney has disappeared, and her children are re-examining their parents' marriage and their family history with fresh, frightened eyes. Is her disappearance related to their mysterious house guest from last year, or were things never as rosy as they seemed in the Delaney household? So, Leanne Moriarty worked in advertising and marketing at a legal publishing company. She also ran her own advertising company, which I can't remember the name of. I was going to look it up. It's Little something. The Uh, Little Advertising Company, uh, something like that, before taking work as a freelance advertising copywriter. And then in 2014, she obtained her master's degree at Macquarie University in Sydney. And her first novel, Three Wishes, was written as a part of that master's degree uh, and that so was it was a master's degree in creative writing I think so right. yeah yep. so she published that in 2004 and then we all know her huge big breakout novel Big Little Lies which was of course adapted into a tv series by HBO and that was adapted by Reese Witherspoon's production company it had Nicole Kidman in it it had Laura Dern in yes. it it had Zoe Kravitz in it and Shailene Woodley. Mm, you're better Ooh. at the names than I am. Lots and lots of big names. Big names, Big yeah. ensemble cast. And going back a step before that was adapted in 2013, CBS Films acquired the rights to another one of her novels, The Husband's Secret, which is another one of her more popular books. Mm. And in 2017 it was announced that the film will star Blake Lively. But of course it's now 2021 and as these things go, it's probably just sitting there. Mm. I don't know if it got filmed or not. Not sure. Her novel Nine Perfect Strangers, that was published in 2018 and then also adapted into another TV series, which is currently on air now for Hulu. I think it's on Hulu. Yes. <laughs> so that's also starred and produced by Nicole Kidman. So Leanne Moriarty lives in Sydney She's with her husband and children and she's also the older sister of two other authors, her two sisters are authors Jacqueline Moriarty and Nicola Moriarty. Yeah, that's right. Lots of yeah. writing talent in that family. I think, and I should have looked this up as well, mm. I think this is her ninth novel. I'm going to look right now. Three, six, seven, eight, nine. Ninth. Oh, look at it's you. It's her ninth, ninth novel. So, yeah, let's get into it. Let's. So, this novel begins with an apparently new bicycle abandoned on the side of the road with apples spilled from its basket, and a man takes it to give to his wife for Valentine's Day, which was the day before, and then he's killed in a head-on collision. That's how it starts. 
Then we get into the crux of the story, which is the Delaney family, as we talked about in the blurb, Stan, Joy, and their four children who are Logan, Troy, Amy, and Brooke. And so this story is told from various points of view in two different timelines, which are now and last September. It starts with last September. So in the current time period, the Delaney children are discussing the fact that their mother has gone missing. And she sent them all a strange text saying that she was going off grid, but then the rest of it was nonsense. And I thought I would just read the text, it, which said, going off grid for a little while, I'm dancing daffodils, 21 dog champagne to end Czechoslovakia, spangle moot, love mom, heart emoji, butterfly emoji, flower emoji, smiley face emoji, and off grid was in capitals. <laughs> <laughs> did you laugh during this yeah, book? I, yeah, did I did too. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, there are lots of funny things. So her kids figure this is because she's texting without her glasses on, but then they haven't heard from her since. So like I said, this is from various points of view, which is some of it is from Joy's, some of it is from her kids, but then there are also random people often in the service industry. And so this gives kind of an outside view of how the Delaney children appear to other people mm. out in the world, yeah. which I thought was kind of clever. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. So we learned that in the previous time period, their mysterious guest is a girl called Savannah, who showed up on Joy and Stan's doorstep saying that she was the victim of domestic violence and had nowhere to go, and their house, quote unquote, looked the friendliest. And so in the present time, the children are all trying to figure out what has happened to their mother and how they feel about their father and the fact that he's the prime suspect in the police's investigation. And he looks pretty guilty, not least because he has the scratch on his face, which does he say it's from bushes or something? Yeah, he and says it seems it's from bushes. Obvious yeah. he's lying. Yeah. So, and also they are trying to suss out Savannah and they were all suspicious of her at the time. And it is slowly revealed the interactions each of them had with her when she was staying with their parents and the kids don't trust her. And they worry, of course, that she's out to take advantage of their parents. Yet when they go over there in the past for Father's Day, Savannah has done all the cooking and pretty much waits on everyone. But still, they resent her intrusion into their parents' lives, even while the parents are being well-fed. And Joy, in particularly, just keeps going on and on about how she loves not having to cook. Yeah. Which, I mean, so relatable. But Savannah seems more and more mysterious as Joy's children learn more about her. For example, one day... I think it's Logan is watching TV. Do you remember it's Logan? If it's it's either Logan or Troy, he's watching it. He's watching TV. Yes, and he, it's Logan. And Logan. Yeah, yeah. He hears a character describe their domestic violence situation in the exact same words that Savannah used. So it's becoming apparent that her backstory mm, is doesn't that help? Yeah. yeah. So. I mentioned the Father's Day lunch before. So everyone was pretty much fighting. And then that lunch ends with Joy having to go to hospital after she collapses because of what they find out is a kidney infection. And when Joy returns from hospital, things seem strange and strained between Stan and Savannah. And Stan suddenly wants Savannah mm. gone. So I've gotten all this way without having mentioned the tennis 
tennis yeah. yeah plays a big role in this book and the Delaney's they're an all-star tennis family and Joy and Stan were both star players in their day and then they open a tennis school and all four of their children were talented tennis players however none of them pursue tennis in their adult lives but Stan has one star player who is not in his family a boy called Harry Haddad and throughout the book, Harry is this source of tension in the family because he left Stan as a coach and went on to tennis stardom with a different coach. And there is debate about whether it was Harry's choice or his dad's choice to leave Stan. So at the start of the book, Harry Haddad is making a comeback. And so Stan is having all these feelings about it. So... I don't know what you think, Jane, but I found the first half of this book, or even maybe the first two-thirds, kind of, it was okay. Mm. And I know one of our staff members in particular gave up on it. Yeah. She read the beginning and was like, it's too verbose and just yeah. Yeah. a bunch of, she felt like it was a bunch of nonsense. And I kind of get that. But I found that when I got to this sort of halfway two-thirds mark, when Joy is still missing and you don't know who Savannah, what her situation is, and all these secrets start to be revealed, and yeah. I was completely hooked at that point. Yeah, there's a lot of building of not necessarily tension but building of this world in the first half. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you do get the payoff. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of details, but mm. yeah, they're important. So as I said, the two main mysteries, what happened to Joy? Where is she? And who really is Savannah? So in the past timeline, Stan summons all the Delaney children to the Delaney house to have a meeting. And while Stan and Joy are waiting for the kids to show up, they're in this, the room that Savannah was staying in. And Stan reveals to Joy that Savannah came on to him while Joy was away in the hospital. And then she approached Troy and claimed that Stan assaulted her and Troy paid her hush money to go away. And as they're having this tense conversation, Joy is kind of going through some of the things in the room, Savannah's things that she left there, and she finds an old photo of Savannah as a young girl, and she's with Harry Haddad. And so, Jane, do you want to tell us about what Savannah's motivations were as to why she ended up on Joy and Stan's doorstep? Sure. Savannah grew up with Harry as the brother who's the shining light of the family. All the attention is on Harry. So Harry and Savannah's parents divorce and unusually they decide to take a child each. Mm. So Harry goes with his dad and Savannah goes with her mum and her mum is this toxic, awful mother that is abusive basically and tries to push her with her ballet you know, developing an eating disorder, controlling her food, controlling her access to things, all the meanwhile poisoning her with stories about Harry and her dad and how well off they are and how they didn't want her. And the two parties sort of are estranged from each other, really, for their whole lives. Mm. And so Savannah comes back into the Delaney's lives with a massive chip on her shoulder, blaming them, I guess, for some of her neglect, even though it wasn't their fault. Mm. The first bit of the book is setting up all these little vignettes of storyline. 
of a young girl that bursts into joy crying in the laundry or tries to steal a banana from Brooke's bag and it turns out this little girl that's in these little stories throughout their childhood is Savannah and so she blames them for letting her starve basically, not looking after her. Yes, because she explains that she was taking the banana because she was literally, literally starving. Yeah, that's and, right. And she blamed them for not seeing that and just kind of shunning her. That's right. Mm. That's right. And so they all felt awful once it's revealed. And it kind of kicked off once Harry decided he was making a comeback and he was writing an autobiography. That's right. It kicks it off for not only Savannah, but Stan mm. and really all of them are, it's causing all of this yeah. stuff from the past to bubble up. Put them all in a bit up. of a spin. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm. So it's slowly revealed that, that Savannah has been telling half-truths and, and sort of lying her way through life and shacking up with older men and living with them, bleeding them dry and then moving on to the next person. So telling stories the whole way through to get what she needs Mm. and then she reveals one of joy's deep Mm. secrets from the past which is that it wasn't harry or his dad who had the idea to leave stan as a coach but that it was joy yeah and joy tries to explain that she was trying to protect her family and protect her children but stan thinks that it's the ultimate betrayal of him so Then in the current timeline, the police are going to arrest Stan because of the mounting evidence against him. The scratch on his face, the fact that he and Joy fought the day she disappeared, and now they've got this motive, the fact that Stan felt so betrayed by Joy's decision to send Harry away. Plus, they get the neighbor's security camera footage that shows him hauling this long, heavy object to his car in the night and then pausing there for minutes looking very distraught and sad Mm. yeah and then just as they are about to arrest him in walks joy so now do you want to explain where joy's been (laughs) (laughs) so apples are a recurring theme throughout the whole book so stan's mother who lived with them does she live with them no Uh Maybe not. No, they live in but her old was, house. They live in oh, Stan's mother's old house. That's what it is, yeah. So there's this recurring theme of Apple Crumble. And everywhere the Delaney's go, if Apple Crumble is on the menu, they all try it because Stan's mother makes the best Apple Crumble in the history of the world and nothing ever stacks up to it. So from a tip from Savannah about adding whiskey to the recipe, Joy on this day decides to ride her new bike down to the shops to pick up some apples to make an apple crumble. On the way she gets a flat tyre, the apples spill on the ground and that's where the book started, mm. if you remember. Walks back home, she's furious, she's hot, she's sweaty. The phone calls and it's Savannah. This is when she had been shacked up with that older man and she's right, got the money. Doctor. She's got money. She's got money now and she's feeling regretful mm. about how... She treated the Delaney's, I think, and she's also found out that her brother was also lied to about her during her childhood and her father had told Harry that Savannah was dying of cancer and he needed to win so that they could afford to 
pay for her treatment. I mean, how awful were both of those parents? I know. So they're really toxic and so bad. It's, it, so that piece of additional information put a different lens, I guess, for Savannah on her parents and on Harry and her relationship with Harry. Mm. And because Harry does all these charity events for childhood cancer and all sorts of things, he's got a 21-day off-grid retreat Mm. kind of a thing to raise money for childhood cancer or whatever the charity is. And Savannah essentially asks Joy if she would like to go with her. And at the spur of the moment, as almost a payback to Stan, who has repeatedly left during arguments for days at a time mm. throughout their marriage, she decides a bit of payback, I guess, and she up and leaves and goes with Savannah to this 21-day off-grid retreat. And if 21 days and off-grid sounds familiar to you, <laughs> it's because that is what she was trying to say in that text that she sent to all her children and she had lost her glasses. And one of the other things that comes up as damning evidence is that they find her phone underneath the bed. Yes. But yeah, she did lose it under the bed and she reckons, well, you know, I'm going off-grid, so what do I need my phone for? Yeah. So... That's where she's been all this time. And one of the things I love, this is what we've been talking about, what Jane's mentioned um, about Leon's writing, is that amazing way that she's able to plant all these Mm. little seeds and then slowly allowing them to blossom. And there are just so many of them in this book from... Joyce text that we just mentioned to the bike to the carpet because what it turns out is that another running thing in the family is how much joy hates the carpet in her house but they leave it there because it was stan's mother's and joy has a bit of a fraught relationship mm-hmm. with her mother-in-law anyway and so while she's gone stan decides to rip up the carpet because he's finally kind of acknowledging how yeah. Joy feels about it. And that is what he's taking out. That's what's on the CCTV. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> so that, and then the apple crumble, as Jane said, there are just, and the strange way that Savannah talks mm. to the key around Savannah's neck. It's impossible to list all of these little things yeah. that she scatters around and then they all make sense. Yeah. Speaking of the key around Savannah's neck, The denouement of this novel is perhaps the most macabre and sinister I have ever read. Yeah, yeah. it was very dark. (laughs) Should we talk about that? Yeah, of course. So Savannah's returned from her 21 day of solitude with joy and she's on a plane home to Adelaide. She's having a conversation with her the person who's sitting next to her and, you know, just chit-chat, where are you headed? Yeah, I'm home, going home to see my mother. So she's <laughs> going so she's home, returning to home to her mother. She's to see her mother. And then she flashes back to when she, she left her mother and she's thinking, oh, my mother's going to be tucked up in bed like how I left her. Mm. And then through her memories, it comes out that the mother said that she was always to leave a bit of food on her plate. And then when she didn't do that, she would lock her in her room with just a little bit of water for days while the poor girl was starving and couldn't get out. And so just before she left Adelaide, she made dinner for her mother and her mother cleaned the plate. And she said, oh, you know, you said that you're always supposed to leave a little bit. And her mother, you know, of course, is older now and she takes medication to help her sleep. Plus, she takes it with whiskey. Mm. So while she's 
kind of comatose with drugs and alcohol, Savannah drags her into her old room and gives her a crate of water and a bunch of protein bars and then locks the door and that's mm. the key that's been around her neck this whole for weeks, time for weeks and weeks weeks and weeks and i think she leaves her a note doesn't she saying yes here you go ration your yeah um, supplies Rash, yeah. because i'm gonna be gone a while so and that's how it ends she's heading home to most likely find a deceased mother i would guess yeah because she was gone well she was gone for 21 days on her retreat and she was there for weeks before Before that that, yeah and the last thing is that the man is explaining what his mother is like and she says to him oh yeah my mother is very active she plays tennis yes Yeah. So basically indicating that she's taken on joy, mm. her new, because she takes on all these personalities because what else is revealed is that while she's shut up in her room for all these days and days on end, she's got a television and she just watches endless amounts of television and imagines herself mm. in these different roles on TV, which is why she speaks so strangely sometimes with different yeah. accents and different sort of, uh, Inflections yeah, and, and, yeah. and, and um, words yeah and so yeah she's taken on joy as her mother at her the new end. mom yeah <laughs> what did you think of that I liked that ending I thought it was dark and yeah I liked that I loved it yeah I thought that was good really hammered home the point that she's not okay she's not okay, <laughs> not okay and okay she, at all. yeah and they're quite clear about saying that she's not right mm. from all of the abuse that she suffered yeah and I really enjoyed how at various points you really dislike or certainly don't understand certain characters like for me Stan mm. and Savannah but then you find out things about their histories that kind of explain their behavior yeah like Jane mentioned before about how Stan used to when things would get too much for him he would just walk out the door just up and leave yeah without Mm. any explanation and with no indication of when he'd be back and I was just like what a selfish (laughs) but of course what it turns out is that his father famously in their family hit his mother one time so he's been sort of known in the family to be this abusive horrible man Mm. but what it reveals later is that he was actually not such an abusive horrible man but that his wife essentially verbally abused him Mm. and he just lost it one day which is not okay but what he says to stan is because he feels so much remorse is never whenever that happens just leave yeah and so that's what stan does take over yeah yeah Yeah. because he's so scared that he's going to do something yeah Moriarty's characters are just so fleshed out yeah and I feel like she really understands human behavior that's something I like about most of her books is these small windows into all sorts of characters you mentioned earlier about all the peripheral characters the the hairdresser the neighbors the shopkeepers all of these people get their own little character study throughout the book and I really enjoy that, the detailed character study of not just the main characters, but all the characters. Yeah, the Uber driver. And, yeah, and all of yeah. those, you know, they've got their own little world. She reflects briefly on that and then their interpretation of the Delaney's. Yeah. And on we go. Sometimes we've talked about books where there's too many characters and it's a bit much. Mm. This, even though there's loads of characters, 
it was not difficult to keep track of it all. That's so funny you say that because I was thinking exactly that. Yeah. We have struggle with that sometimes, but it's like in other books, I feel like they're trying to do too much, whereas mm. this doesn't feel like that. It's like you just have this little glimpse over here. Yeah. You don't get an info dump, but you just get this little glimpse from this character that brings the main characters into focus even more. Yeah. I mean, if you compare it to something like Malibu Rising, where there was a lot of characters and that also went into a bit of detail about a lot of peripheral characters and it diluted the story a little bit, whereas this, I think, intensified the story and the plot. And I I guess that's because it was all centred around this one plot point about where is Joy Delaney. So it all rotated around that, which helped keep all those characters in check, I think. Yeah, and I think it just goes to Leon Moriarty's skillful writing. Yeah, absolutely. I thought this was really amusing and really quirky, even though it's a little bit dark at points and a bit, it's not really sad, but there's some not nice stuff in here. It reminded me of Where'd You Go Bernadette? Really? Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of that, just a little bit oddball. Mm. You know, obviously there's the similarities with Where's Joy and Where's Bernadette because they just up and disappear. Right. But they're just that sort of slightly off-centre, quirky kind of a book. Yeah, I felt though with Where'd You Go Bernadette, it seemed so unrealistic to me, whereas Mm. I feel like this, I could see this happening more. Could you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, more than being off in oh, Alaska. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah, in Antarctica on a research boat. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> what did you think of the title? You mentioned about the apples before. I liked that as well. I think it relates to so many different elements of the book. Obviously, the parental, you know, apple doesn't fall far from the tree, referring to parents and their children. The picture on the front, the apples that are on the ground are actually tennis balls. Oh, I never even noticed that. And there's four of them, one for each child. Oh, wow. I can't (laughs) believe I never noticed that. I'm so glad you pointed that out to me. And then there's the apples in her bike. There's the apple crumble. I agree. I really liked that. It worked on so many levels. Yeah. Uh, uh, In this book about family and how alike we are with our parents and how unlike our parents that we are and how our parents shape who we become. Yeah, absolutely. The mm. one thing I didn't understand is the man who dies at the beginning of the book. Did that have any significance? Did I miss something? I suspect that was because then they just didn't find the bike. So. Oh, that was to explain how the bike was gone oh. and not found, I guess. But I didn't think the man had to die. It seemed really dramatic that he died and then. Well, I guess if he, he, he died, he's anyway. not going to be out of sight of the police. Oh, I picked up this bike on the ground. Oh, okay. killing off a witness straight away (laughs) (laughs) the other thing I wanted to say is this is the first book I've read that acknowledged the pandemic yes I've got this down here too do you I've read a couple of things with the pandemic in it oh okay mentions of it and we're starting to see this reflected in books is this the norm now are we going to see it all the time well I remember earlier um reading somewhere where they're like yes this is a thing now do we acknowledge it or not yeah and here she has and the in the reviews i've read i don't know if you read any reviews but no i didn't actually people are really divided about this it seems really 50 50 people either were like yeah i loved it or it seemed tacked on and i hated it it i mean it it certainly dates a book it it puts it in its time Mm. which depending on the book 
does or doesn't matter. I don't feel either way about it. Okay. I wouldn't miss it if it wasn't there. Mm. But I'm not annoyed that it is. Well, it's interesting because some people were like, it came out of the blue. But I'm like, the pandemic did come out of the blue. So we're almost into our third year now. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It seemed realistic to me. I I yeah. kind of, yeah, didn't mind it. Something I liked about it is it's very Australian. It's mm. very Sydney. I enjoyed the differences between the generations. I liked the step back in time to the 70s and the 80s where they're a young married couple and they're tanned and fit and glorious looking and you you hear from neighbours and friends that they were like the hottest couple going Mm. around and they were so into each other and you can just get a really good sense of the kind of freewheeling 70s mm-hmm. where people weren't so worried and they had what are those parties called oh, key the parties keys? yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they mentioned a key party didn't they yeah like yeah. you could you get the sense that there were things were a bit much looser and more f- easygoing with sex and alcohol and all that sort of stuff in the in their early days i liked the the touching on the this golden age of tennis so i think it was like the 50s to the sort of early 80s was in australia was Tennis was it. Everybody played tennis. You played tennis socially. There's tennis courts. If you drive through country Australia, there's tennis courts right across regional Australia. In the smallest town, you'll see an old tennis court that's probably half grown over Mm. by this point because nobody uses them anymore. But tennis was a really big thing and it did... It rang true to me. I remember my parents playing tennis in the 80s. We were made to play tennis because everyone should know how to play tennis. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't get that aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, it was okay. a real – it was a thing, you know, and Australia won all the Grand Slams and all the championships in the early days, like the 50s, 60s, 70s. Mm. We killed it at tennis, but that's kind of uh, gone by the wayside a little mm. bit the last couple of decades. Another thing I liked was Joy's general rage at life and I find it really is interesting and fascinating. Women of Joy's age, that boomer sort of generation, they've had a life of looking after households, children, husbands, worked but their careers weren't important. There's this long held on to resentment and you could feel that in Joy. You mm. could feel that she'd been put upon her whole life. And now the rage is kind of spilling out. It interests me. I've read a few articles about that. And there's this book that's called Women of a Certain Rage. Oh. Articles from women of this age that are just talking about their rage just generally at life. Yeah, right. Which is really interesting. Yeah, she does that really well in here. Yeah. And it's, I mean, Leon is not that age and she's not the kid's age either. She sort of is bridging Mm. both of those. I feel like I'm kind of close in age to her. So I can can feel her straddling those two ages. And I agree. Yeah, Yeah. it was really good to read about that. And Stan was the same. Stan's a man of a certain age. You're not feeling your feelings when you're a man who's, what what are they, 69? Yeah, and he's 70. Mm. You know, that's a really interesting generational difference between that sort of age group and our sort of age group. Yeah, you saying that reminded me of this one very short part of the book. It wasn't even Joy, it was the neighbour, Caro. Remember Caro? Yes. And she's a similar age to Joy. And I'm going to just read you this one little bit because I feel like it kind of encapsulates, it's not the rage at all, but it's just a a funny way she put how a woman of that age might think Mm. of 
the younger generation. So Carol, the neighbor, is talking about seeing Stan and Joy um, when they first moved into uh, the neighborhood. Yes. Yeah. And she says, a gigantic man who, of course, turned out to be Stan, was talking to a young woman wearing very short shorts, her long hair and a ponytail. A fat baby bounced and laughed on her hip, while three older children played tip like it was the Olympics. Carol actually thought Joy was their teenage babysitter until Stan kissed her. Carol could still remember the way he pulled on her ponytail so her head tipped back as he kissed her. It had seemed stunningly erotic to Carol, a man kissing his wife like that right there in the middle of the street. But maybe she'd misread the signs of an abusive relationship. Carol had secretly rather enjoyed Fifty Shades of Grey, (laughs) but her daughter had explained that the book was about an abusive relationship and Carol had felt foolish because her daughter, who had struggled to learn to read, now had a degree in English literature. So she was right and Carol was wrong and she should not have enjoyed that book. How embarrassing. (laughs) i loved that yeah yeah (laughs) that's something i enjoyed so much the interactions with these older parents and their adult children yes you know the mom you know you've got to wear your glasses when you're texting (laughs) you know all of this sort of thing i can't remember which page it was and joy's referring to the me too movement but she calls it you know the believe her movement or something (laughs) so just a little bit it's really cute and very relatable very with your parents. Relatable. <laughs> the other thing that I enjoyed was the evolution of Joy and Stan's relationship and how they had this amazing romantic love story at the beginning but how it waxed and waned and mm. how there were some little infidelities things that indiscretions. indiscretions and how there was at one point in the book one of the kids says I feel like maybe my parents hate each other and I didn't realize it all yeah. this time and you could see how in that moment they kind of did hate each other because mm. she was saying all these horrible things to him about how he was at tennis and he was saying all these horrible things to her and you the, yeah yeah, you could feel like you hate somebody, but when you're in it for the long haul like that, mm, sometimes you do hate them, and then yeah. you, you don't. And yeah, <laughs> and there's something sort of amazing and beautiful about the fact that they kind of ride those waves together, yeah. and they're still yeah. there at the end. I can see this is an ensemble cast. TV series again? Definitely. Although I really hope that they set it in Australia this time. Yeah, it's so Australian that to take that. I mean, but I felt like that about Big Little Lies yeah, as well. That was I know, very so did Sydney I. suburbs. I would love to see this as an Australian cast series. Knowing that she's had a few things turned into TV series now, I wonder if that changes the way she writes. The siblings' very distinct personalities maybe felt slightly just a tiny tiny bit tropey about how one's the successful business guy and the other brothers you know a lackluster bit of a nothing of a guy and one sister's off the planet and blue hair and floaty dresses and the other sister's a physiotherapist and very serious Mm. you could see them casting these characters really easily Mm. I don't think that's a bad thing Mm. But it was just something I noticed. How do you think it compares to her other novels? Yeah, it's funny. I read some reviews that said Leanne Moriarty is back. Yeah. And I would agree with that because I think we've talked about before on the podcast how we haven't loved her latest books as much. I've liked them. I liked Nine Perfect Strangers well enough. I've said before, I haven't loved anything as much as I loved What Alice Forgot. That Mm. was her first book I read and it's still my ultimate favorite. But I would say this is coming close to it again. I really loved this book. I think lots of people didn't like Nine Perfect Strangers. Mm. I think if you're a fan of her other books, I think you're going to like this and I think you'll be really happy 
happy. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> Did you read other things this month, Jane? Only one thing, and you know what I read. And I'm going to tell you again about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I read, like, Half of the Universe, Sally Rooney's new book, Beautiful World, Where Are You? And Paula was never going to read this because she <laughs> hated normal people. But I'm looking forward to your review. <laughs> <laughs> right, this book's a slog. Mm. This book is hard to get through. This book is written chapter by chapter. Basically, it's about four people, Alice, Felix, Eileen and Simon. They're still young. I think they're in their 20s. They desire each other. They delude each other. They worry about sex and friendships and the world that they live in. Are they standing in the last lighted room before darkness, bearing witness to something? I'm assuming that refers to just how awful things are globally. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Will they find a way to believe in a beautiful world? So one chapter is an email between Eileen and Alice and then the next chapter is plot and dialogue and moving forward and it alternates between the whole book. Oh, with emails and then plot? Yes, that's right. And I'll show you, there's pages and pages like that. Oh, it's just a big wall just of words with huge, no yes, indentations. No, no nothing. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of prose. I mean, don't you love when you come to a chapter and it's really short? There are lots of those yes. in, in um in it feels Apple's like you're getting fall. somewhere. Well yeah, yeah. It feels like oh things are speeding up, things are trucking yeah. along. Yeah, that's well, the this opposite. Is, this is the opposite of that. <laughs> I didn't find myself attached to any of the characters Mm. and I don't generally mind that. It was the opposite. In fact, they were all unlikable people. I don't have to love characters in Mm. a book at all. And you know that I love a miserable book. I really do. I really like normal people. But I do want to feel something for their plight, for what they're doing in the book, the plot and what their growth is going to be. But I just didn't care. I just didn't care about them. Mm. I ended up skipping from about halfway. A girlfriend of mine was reading it as well and she messaged me and said, how are you going? I was like, ooh. <laughs> and she said, I started skipping the email chapter. <gasps> I just read the plot chapters, the whole half of the book. And I was like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I did that. <laughs> and this, who was also reading it, and she said to me this, I said, how are you going with Beautiful World? She goes, I'm just reading the plot chapters. <laughs> because you said that yeah. or she just decided to do that on her own? She, I had told her that oh, I had right. done that as well. It's a depressing book. But I also, that's not what I don't like about it. I love depressing books. Mm -hmm. It's very cerebral. There's lots of conversation. I don't know, any 20-something-year-old that's doing deep dives about the Soviet Union (laughs) in an email, you know? (laughs) Maybe we're just not running in those circles, Jane. talking about socialism and capitalism. Maybe it's not our circles. You're right. (laughs) Very cerebral. It's not awful, but it's it's not a joy. <laughs> I feel smugly justified. <laughs> That's awful, isn't it? Gosh, sorry. It's not. We're it's sorry, not. Sally Rooney. We're here to say how we really feel about books. It's not badly written. Okay. <laughs> but you said it's, again, with the no quotation marks around dialogue, yeah. right? I hate that. That didn't bother me too much. But I feel anyway. like it's pretentious or something. Oh, I didn't say that. You said that. 
What have you read? Uh, I actually read two. One is called The Shut-Ins by Catherine Braybon. So this is about what the Japanese call hikikomori. And it's the word for the phenomenon as well as the person, which is when people withdraw completely from society in Japan and become recluses, which I find to be a fascinating topic in and of itself. It's a relatively, you know, within the past, I would say, 30, 40 years kind of phenomenon. So this book investigates that through one character and a woman who had a relationship with this person in high school and then later when she's a married adult she has a chance meeting with his mother and she agrees to help her by writing to him in the hopes that it will coax him back out into society wow, again that sounds really interesting mm. the prose is subtle and unadorned but says a lot mm. which i find so challenging to do but amazing when it's done well and i feel like this is that and hauntingly beautiful and sort of dreamlike in places it's written by an australian author but it seems clear that she really understands to me anyway japanese culture and thinking and it reads like a japanese novel i kept having to remind myself that it wasn't a japanese person mm. who's written this it's really interesting because you have read loads of japanese authors obviously well i haven't read loads i would think say well, more than the average person recently yeah. there have been a lot more translated novels yeah that there's have come a lot out, around so. and they are unique they are a unique type of novel mm. they yeah. are dreamlike a lot and very soft and gentle whilst also being some strong intense themes like memory police yes, yes. exactly yeah So that's a new book. The other one I read is not new. I think it was 2018 it came out. But this novel I came to know about because I think I mentioned to you that I have a Google alert set for when things come up about books. And a lot of it comes from America. And so many alerts I'm getting now are about books being banned in the States. It's just so divisive over there Mm. right now. So many banned books. And that's how I came to know about this book. It's called Lawn Boy by Jonathan Evison. And, you know, I wouldn't have known about it if it weren't for that. It's that whole Streisand effect thing. Mm, Don't tell people that you don't want them to read it (laughs) if you don't want them to read it. Often the books are banned for race-related issues. This is not that. It was banned for sexual content but to me that seemed like such a minor part of the story people are complaining that it sexually exploits children and i feel like whoever is doing that has not actually read the book because it's not that at all it's a coming of age novel and the main character reads almost like a modern day holden caulfield Mm. which i love that book it's a study on race and classism in modern america that's some intense reading you've done this i guess so Yeah. yeah But I, but I didn't find Apple's Never Fall to be no. a tense read, even though no. it did um, have some challenging themes, but yeah, yeah enjoyable. Easy. It was lovely. It was a good read. Mm. Let's do news. Okay. Jane and I debated whether we should <laughs> mention the fact that Sally Rooney, speaking of Sally Rooney and her latest book, Beautiful World, Where Are You?, She's refused to to allow an Israeli firm to translate it into Hebrew. And the reason why Jane and I debated talking about it is because we've said we both know pretty much nothing about the conflict. We've both tried to know something. We have. It's (laughs) it's not through lack of trying. No. We've read the Wikipedia Sounds awful. It does sound bad, especially for people who work in a library. That's awful. (laughs) It is awful. Maybe I should cut this all out. But anyway, (laughs) 
The point being that she has had some controversy around this decision of hers to not allow her book to be translated. And she said that she would be happy to sell the manuscript rights for the Hebrew language translation if it's possible to find a company that doesn't violate these principles. Yeah, that's all I can really say about it. Now, this is something that Jane brought to my attention, which we've talked about on the podcast before. Netflix inventing Anna... can't wait still so long to wait though i know it was supposed to come out this year 2021 this is the story of anna delvey we read the book my friend anna last year yeah about the fake heiress it was a true crime book and we hate yeah yeah. (laughs) we hate loved it and we are ready to hate love the i'm so excited we're so excited for it (laughs) we've been waiting for it this year now it seems like it's going to be coming next year they've said but they've cast julia garner did we know that already i think maybe we did but now we've got pictures of julia garner as she Anna Delvey. I know. I'm just showing Jane one of the photos. I, know. I can't she wait. Just, she just looks so perfect. So, yeah, that's going to be good. We will let you know when we know when that's actually going to be yeah. released. Yes. One other thing is, did you see this? Matthew Perry has signed a deal to write an autobiography. Oh, have you got Google alerts for all the cast of <laughs> all Friends? <the> friends? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, so he's the first Friends cast member to write an autobiography and it says it's going to take readers behind the scenes onto the soundstage of the sitcom while opening up about his private struggles with addiction it is set to be a candid and self-aware book told with his trademark humor with perry vividly detailing his lifelong battle with the disease so great are you gonna read it definitely (coughs) that's coming out in the fall of 2022 though so we've got a bit to wait American fall or Australian yeah. autumn? This is from Flatiron Books. So spring in New York. Year. So I'm, yeah. Great. So there's a little while tonight. Did you hear Gunther died? Yes. Yeah, I did. Sad. I mean, that's not his name, obviously. No, sorry. <laughs> his name is Michael somebody. Sorry, <laughs> Gunther fans. But yeah, he was young. Yeah, really. There's quite a bit coming out. I'll whip through them. Cool. This one I picked because it did lend itself to the theme in Apples Never Fall about women of a certain rage, that Mm. boomer generation of women and their lives. It's by Hilma Voldlitzer. It's called Today a Woman Went Mad in the Supermarket. This is a collection of articles, I think, that they've pulled together that she wrote in the 60s and 70s, as well as some new material Hilma is in her 90s Mm. now, so this is from like Joy and Apples Never Fall, her earlier generation. Mm. This book invites us into the private world of domestic bliss, seen mostly through the lens of Paulie and Howard's gloriously ordinary marriage, from hasty weddings to meddlesome neighbours, ex-wives who just won't leave, to sleepless nights worrying about unanswered chainmail. Well, it captures the tensions, contradictions and unexpected detours of daily life with wit, candor and acutely observant eye. I love the title. Yeah. I love that title. Oh, it's It's yellow with a lemon. Yeah. (laughs) I read the first chapter on Amazon today and I think I might read it. Mm. Paul West, who we had a couple of years ago from River Cottage, Australia. He's got another book out. So it's garden projects, seedlings, building greenhouses, seasonal recipes, pickling things all of that sort of stuff 
His last book's gorgeous, so I imagine this one's lovely as well. Speaking of Louis Thoreau, oh. he has got an autobiography coming out. Ooh. Yes. Step inside Louis's life. Never before, like never before, as he turns his critical eye on himself, his home, his family, and tries to make sense of our weird and sometimes scary world. His autobiography is perfect for uncertain times and is hilarious. I bet that's going to be fantastic. Yeah, that's by I would um, definitely read that. Pan Mac, that's coming out. Kaz Cook has got a new book coming out. Mm. So she wrote Up the Duff, Women's Stuff, Girl Stuff. Up the Duff is pretty much a staple in any pregnant woman's library of the last I don't know 20 years Mm. I guess she's got a book coming out called you're doing it wrong it's an outrageous tour through the centuries of bonkers and bad advice handed down and foisted upon women told only as Kaz Cook can with humor rage intelligence and wit have a look at the cover (laughs) how would you describe that cover it's like (laughs) looks like uh, Shakespeare with makeup on. Like with drag makeup yeah, on. Yeah, drag makeup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fiona McIntosh has got another book coming out. This is a Pan Mac book as well. It's called The Spy's Wife. It's a historical adventure. That's how they've tagged it. It's not historical fiction. It's mm. historical adventure. And it's set in England and Germany during the war. Now, this one looked really interesting. I'm going to read the whole blurb out to you. This is by Penguin. It's called Lemon. It's by Kwon Yeo Sun. In the summer of 2002, when Korea is abuzz over hosting the FIFA World Cup, 19-year-old Kim Hae-on is killed in what becomes known as the high school beauty murder. Two suspects quickly emerge. Rich kid Shin Jong-jung, whose car Hae-on was last seen in, and delivery boy Han Manu who witnesses Hae-on in the passenger seat through Jiang Jing's car just a few hours before her death. But when Jiang Jing's alibi turns out to be solid and no evidence can be pinned on Manu, the case goes cold. Told at different points in time from the perspective of Dae-on and two of Hae-on's classmates, Lemon loosely follows the structure of a detective novel, but finding the perpetrator is not the main objective here. Instead, the work explores grief and trauma, raising important questions about guilt, retribution and the meaning of death and life reading the first chapter of this book you could easily mistake it for a thriller the book translated from korean by janet hong has all the elements of the genre protagonists haunted by an unsolved murder a cop more interested in making an arrest than finding a killer a dead girl whose beauty has turned her into something approaching a myth but this is a murder mystery less interested in victim and killer than in the motivations of those consuming their story. Those who create meaning where most likely none exists. That consumption is its own violence. Wow. That sounds good, doesn't it? it does, so that's fiction. Yep. And now I apologise for not remembering who said this, but this is the most anticipated novel of 2021 by oh. some UK publisher. We'll find that out and put it in the notes somewhere but I thought that sounded really interesting it really does to come at it from that perspective I feel like we need that right now yeah and I think this might be one to watch it might be one that is a slow burner Mm. (laughs) I thought you'd like the sound of that one (laughs) right well will you introduce our next book yes I will we've been looking forward to reading this since when oh months ages since ages we are reading Hannah Kent's new book, Devotion, which has only just come out last month. And I'll give you a little overview. 1836 Prussia. Hannah is nearly 15 and the domestic world of womanhood is quickly closing in on her. 
A child of nature, she yearns instead for the rush of the river, the wild dancing around her. Hannah finds little comfort in the local girls and friendship doesn't come easily until she meets Thea and she finds in her a kindred spirit and finally acceptance. Hannah's family are old Lutherans and in her small village, hushed worship is done secretly. This is a community under threat, but when they are granted safe passage to Australia, the community rejoices. At last a place they can pray without fear, a permanent home, freedom. It's a promise of freedom that will have devastating consequences for Hannah and Thea, but on that long and brutal journey, their bond proves too strong for even nature to break. Did I read that this is the first time that Hannah Kent has written about South Australia or even yes. Australia? Because she was in Iceland for burial rites. Right. And where was the good so people? Ireland? I think so. For the good people? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And not just Australia, but South, South Australia, Australia and Adelaide Hills. Hondorf, yeah. yeah. I know one of our staff members said they don't like it when stuff is set in Australia and yeah. I feel completely the opposite. I love it when things are set here. I feel like that as well. I feel a bit like, oh, boring. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but as I get older, I'm appreciating it more. But don't you love when you like they're going to be talking mm. about Hondorf and you can picture you've been there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And it's historical fiction. We haven't done that since, what, Hamnet, maybe? Yeah, you're probably right. I've already started it, so I'm looking forward to it. And there's already mention of a witch, and that excites me <laughs> greatly. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got this as one of our trending titles this month. So pop into Marin Cultural Centre, and if you're lucky, there will be one on the shelf for you. There's Ordinary Copies in the collection. It is also an ebook on Borrowbox and... Libby. Both of them. Both of them. Yeah. Grab them, read along, and come listen to us next month. See ya. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>